ready? I said, are you ready? <laughs> For what? The horror bros. Alright everybody, welcome to the inaugural episode of the horror bros. I'm your host Jason Johnson and my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend. The uh, human IMDb, as he was once called, the uh, published, so this is how you know we're not uh, giving no bullshit here, the published movie critic, uh, JT Johnson is with us. Now, just for clarity, the human IMDb was a nickname in college. I did not actually officially have that nickname anywhere else. Well, you know. (laughs) But you know but, a lot uh, of shit, and that ain't that ain't no joke. <laughs> but uh, hello, everybody. Uh, as Jason said, I'm JT Johnson. So what is Horror Bros? Simply put, this is a podcast featuring two brothers who simply want to share their love for a genre that has been scaring them stupid since they were kids, the horror genre. Mm-hmm. The idea is that we will be looking at various horror films, giving our thoughts as well as some behind-the-scenes information about each film. The show will be broken up into seasons. And the first season that we've cooked up for you will feature 11 horror films from the 1970s. Now, this is an era that many consider to be the golden age for the genre. During the 70s, you saw pretty much two types of horror films, the supernatural and or religious films, and the slashers that would foreshadow that particular subgenre's dominance in the 80s. In 1968, an influential horror film was released called Rosemary's Baby. Now, while I believe that this film is overrated, I can't deny its impact. I can't deny its impact on the yeah. Hereditary did it better. (laughs) I can't deny its impact on the genre and its relevance to seventies horror films. Hereditary was also not made by a pedophile. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rosemary's Baby was a film that convinced mainstream studios that there was an audience for these types of films, and that meant mainstream audiences started to make supernatural horror films. Meanwhile, independent filmmakers were working with tight budgets and oftentimes tighter schedules, and they seemed to be making slashers on the fringes of Hollywood and definitely outside of critical appeal. Yeah. With this season, almost every film on this list falls into one of these two categories. Today, for example, we are covering a supernatural film. That movie is The Exorcist, a film that was released the day after Christmas on December 26, <laughs> 1973. The movie, for those who don't know, is about an actress and single mother whose daughter has become possessed by a demon named Pazuzu, although it's never mentioned in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. the, the mother enlists the aid of a priest who is also going through his own crisis of faith. All right, enough of the intros. Jason, take it away. Yeah, well, I mean, this is one of my favorite horror films ever. I've seen it um, well over 30 times. There was a friend of mine... Uh, real good friend of mine growing up, we always used to have to rent this movie if I was going to stay over at his house. You know, we were going to watch The Exorcist. Um, it's, it's, I've seen it a ton of times, and, and I love it. It still uh, holds up to me. I mean, you know, of course, I mean, the special effects aren't going to be what they could do today, but, you know, of still, course. they were amazing for the time. And yeah. a quick note on that, I'm not always going to comment on special effects of these horror films because oftentimes horror films are made with very 
practical right. effects and very because they usually don't have a budget for anything right. more. So, I mean, if, if something stands out or is noteworthy even yeah. today, obviously we'll talk about it. I mean, that that's the point. But I'm not going to say like, oh, these specs suck because, yeah, they've aged. Yeah, they <laughs> age. It's just the way it's going to be. I mean, you know, but still, you know, uh, for for purists like me, hey, the 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 effects on Star Wars aged. It didn't need to be able to take go back and put computer effects in it. It was it was good how it was, but you know, um, it's true. It, it really doesn't. Um, it, you know, but I will say though, some of those effects are very nice. It's oh just yeah, a yeah, lot of the additions. To right. The the well, main. yeah. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't get us started on Star Wars. That'll be for another <laughs> show sometime. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I love this movie. It, in fact, I finished this movie 30 minutes ago. Uh, I, I went ahead on, I timed it to where I could watch it right up to the point where we'd start recording and just, uh, but I, I watched it last night. Uh, I actually have to keep my notes straight though, because I yeah. actually watched our film for next week tonight, Yeah. uh, before the show. So nice. I'm going to have to keep things nice. straight. Um, I, um, the, the, you know, a couple of little odd things about it. I, it does add a little something to it whenever you're in some of the imaging scenes where they're doing the x-rays and stuff. And you know that that guy standing there ended up being a serial killer. That's uh that's pretty cool. It does kind of add something to it. I didn't think it would, but then as I'm looking at him, I'm like, Oh my God, look at the way he's staring at her. He probably wanted to kill her right there. You know, funny. Uh, the funny thing about that scene though, the scene in general, not the killer. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, the people who fainted in the audiences, because you always heard about how people fainted yeah. and got disturbed. None of the supernatural stuff did that. Uh, William Peter Blatty, yeah. who wrote the book and the screenplay that uh, is based on his book for this movie, right. said that that is where people uh, fainted, was during yeah. the ar- art arteriogram. Yeah, and, and the blood and spurting. Yeah. yeah, and that's uh, that's actually a moment where Blatty himself, every time he's watched the movie, he said this in an interview. Every time he watches the movie, he looks down. Yeah, he can't watch the scene. Well, the people were telling me that you know because they gave they did a real arteriogram, and so that's all real equipment. That's the reason why the guy who's a serial killer was there. He was a real technician for doing yeah. arteriograms, and he and he they asked him to be in the movie so that he would make it more realistic. Now, yeah. real. Real quick uh, correction. A lot yeah. of people, due to what director William Friedkin said, yeah. think that the arteriogram was real. Like, they actually yeah, performed yeah, it yeah. on... Like, no, no, just the equipment was, and stuff, right? Right. Yeah. But they, they did it as close as they could to real. Right. Um, and, and that's why it's actually used in medical yeah. fields to this day as, like, here's what we used to do, because I don't even yeah. do that anymore. No, God, Here, no. But, but <laughs> here's, here's what we used to do. Uh, and here was the procedure. Well, and that's the hilarious part too is is that they're using you, you're watching this scene and you're seeing all the old medical equipment from about the 70s back uh, through time just is horrific in and of itself. It's just like these big clunky metal boxes and they make <laughs> these loud ass noises. And then the other thing too was was after the arteriogram, he walk the doctor walks outside to talk to her and immediately lights a cigarette in the hallway of the hospital. I'm like, oh, the good old days. The good old yeah, days, we could man. Sit in a sit in a hospital and smoke <laughs> a cigarette. Uh, uh, 
real quick, uh, one of the behind the scenes things, because I've already mentioned him, uh, Blatty. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I found while researching this movie that I didn't know until now, actually, yeah. was how much control he had over the production. Yeah. Uh, it's not uncommon for a screenwriter to be hired to uh, write the screenplay based on their books. That happens a lot, actually. Right. But he was he actually had control of who was cast as the director. He was a producer on the film. He was actually involved. Yeah. And he chose William Friedkin uh, based on William Friedkin's big hit at that time had been 1971's The French Connection. Okay. And, and that's why Friedkin was hired. The irony being is that he was hired because Blatty wanted the pacing of that movie, The French Connection. Yeah. And The Exorcist does not have that pacing. No. Uh, I not do want to say, I do want to say, get ready for a slow burn. Yeah, it's a slow burn movie. Yeah. Because the, the idea of this movie is for a, the first hour, it's a two hour movie. Right. First hour, you are supposed to wonder if she's crazy. Right. If Reagan is crazy and it's all in her head and right. no supernatural stuff is really happening. That's sprinkled in until eventually there ain't no denying that she's possessed. Right. And uh, what's funny is right about the halfway mark is when we get our first real supernatural move, which is in the 2000 version you've never seen mm-hmm. version of the film. The spider walk scene. The spider walk. The back of the steps. It's just crazy. That's the version it's I just crazy. watched, by the way. And, and Blatty, it's about the only version you can find these days because it's it's yeah. the preferred version. Right. And Blatty, him and Freakin' almost had a falling out for years because Blatty wanted that scene in and Freakin' yeah. took it out because Freakin' said that it was too soon for that big a hit. Yeah. But you watch it in the, you watch it in the movie, though, and it actually it, it kind of is the finger snap of it when is. everything really starts. It is, but also Freakin' may have been right. Because as we're trying to go through this, is she crazy? Is she not? That scene ultimately says, no, she ain't crazy. There's something fucked up happening here. You know? But but that's what what I'm saying, though, is though, after that scene, that's when everything, all the supernatural stuff, the the bed shaking. Yeah, it does kind of start take off after that. So it it really, for me, it didn't feel like it came too early, I guess. I kind of see it from Blatty's perspective. Yeah. Uh, I can see freaking taking it out. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking the change, but it's such a great sequence and I I have to have it in there. Um, Speaking of which, really, the only changes between the original version and the version you've never seen are three, the three major things is the, the spider walk, the sound design, the sound was digitally remastered, so you you hear a lot more right. uh, of what was in the original mix. Even Freakin' said, I heard things even I, I didn't even know we'd put in the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the ending. Yeah. Now, spoiler alert for a 40-some-odd-year movie, uh, year old movie. But at yeah. the end of the movie, one of the main characters dies, and the original movie ends with his priest friend, uh, sending Reagan and them off, and then he looks down at the infamous steps in Georgetown. Right. And he walks away, and it ends. Right. The ending in this movie, he, Kinderman, the detective in the movie, right. who's investigating a death from earlier, uh, comes and he just misses him, and he start he sparks a conversation with Father Dyer, which in mm-hmm. the book is actually 
that's very telling because of a book called Legion, which was a right. sequel to The Exorcist. There's a the Dyer sort of comes back, but it's Kinderman. <laughs> right. Kinderman uh, is the main character of that book. And so that ending kind of just says, hey, here's a new friendship that has started. And it actually came from their from them knowing the guy who died. So it's kind of like the guy lives right. on through them. Yeah. So it's a better ending, too, I actually think. I'm, yeah. I'm glad they put that back in. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I really like – that was one film where when I, I found out there was going to be a director's cut, I, I was really happy about it because – it, it, what they added back in didn't hurt the film at all. In fact, it, it, you know, some little things made the film better. And it, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, the thing about uh, uh, the dire thing and all is, I, and this is getting into another film that's much later, uh, nineteen ninety, Exorcist three, where they actually Legion the book goes back and revisits that. Blatty had uh, written that book. He also had, uh, he wrote the screenplay. He was the director on the film for that one. He wanted to call it Legion. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Morgan Creek stepped in and said, no, you'll call it Exorcist 3 because this, you know, we got to market this thing. And the name sells. Yeah, yeah, the name sells. And because... They went back and they watched the movie afterwards and realized that, well, this is a film we're calling The Exorcist, and it has no exorcism in it. So they added in a whole bunch of exorcism shit. Blatty actually filmed it. He he is the one who did it. He said if anyone could do it, it would be him. And if he was gonna, if anyone was gonna fuck up his film, it would be him. And uh, he. And so we got what we got, but it's really cool because if you read Legion and you see the the friendship in there between Dyer and and uh, uh, Kinnerman, you you get to see the start the very start of that in The Exorcist. It kind of ties some things together. Yeah. Um, so. And and to be honest with you, uh, I, I was going to get to this later at the uh, end of podcast statistics, uh, but. Uh, yeah, the, the movie spawned several sequels. Yeah. But unlike a lot of other horror films, almost none of those sequels are good. No. Uh, Exorcist II, The Heretic, is one of the worst sequels ever made. Yeah. Wretched movie. Oh, yeah. The Exorcist Three is a one I like. I actually like watching that movie. I don't mind that movie at all. Uh, I do like I it, think, but I think I think uh, Blatty's original cut would have been better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do think... Uh, the reason I like that movie too is George yeah. C. Scott plays yes. Kinderman, yes. and he, oh, he's uh, in another podcast, Kevin Smith's Hollywood Babylon with Ralph Garman. Yeah, uh, they do this thing called exquisite acting, and Exorcist Three actually made exquisite acting yeah. with George C. Scott when he goes when someone tells him, "Oh, it's in the file," and he goes, "It's not in the file." Like, yeah. it's just that big, huge George yeah, C. Scott that George C. Scott moment, man. Uh, and if any of y'all out there want to see George C. Scott at his best, watch the movie Patton. It's amazing. And then, uh, just to complete this this part of the topic, uh, there were two prequels made. One mm-hmm. was made, Warner Brothers didn't like it, so they reshot the entire film. Really? Called it The Exorcist, The Beginning. The only mm-hmm. person that returned was um, Peter Skarsgård as a young father, Marin Lancaster, played by yeah. uh, Max von Sydow in, in this movie. Right. And that movie flopped, and so they decided to release the original version, and they called it Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. 
Yeah. They're both forgettable. They're not necessarily bad. They're just, you don't think about them. Like you forget them as soon as you watch them. And then there was a short lived television show, which I think actually served as a sequel to this movie. Uh, because they bought back the character of Chris McNeil, I think, which is the mother yeah. uh, in this movie. But going back to this movie, I do want to talk about the cast just a little bit, the the key players, if you will. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the mother is Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn had um, already had had already been nominated for the Last Picture Show before this for an Academy Award. Yeah. Um, and then after this movie, she would win the Academy Award for Martin Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yep. And she's fantastic. She does a really good job of playing an actress, which that shouldn't be too hard for her. Right. But she she doesn't come off as snooty. She comes off as very much a loving mother who's dealing with right. a daughter uh, as, as a single mother and all that, right. which adds to the whole is Reagan going through some things because of her yeah. troubled her parents' troubled relationship and all that stuff. And I think a scene that adds something to her is when she's on the phone with the father's assistant and she's just screaming at him, oh, he just doesn't give a shit. He couldn't call her on the birth. Because it shows you that she's not this star, that everything's just – she has real problems like we yeah. do, you know, and, and, and she has real mother problems. You know? And it's an important, important visual that it pans out and you see Reagan's listening in. Yeah. And is hearing all of that. So right. she knows that uh, her parents have been going through some stuff. And you know that from an earlier scene, too, because she's there saying, hey, you can bring Burke along if you want. I know you like him because she thinks that maybe her and the drunk director right. are somehow together. Uh, <laughs> but um, the daughter, uh, as I mentioned, is Reagan McNeil, played by Linda Blair. Linda Blair is considered a scream queen because of this movie. Right. She's also, uh, she did a lot of other movies after this, but nothing came nearly as close to the exorcist. Uh, she's been working ever since, but just not, right. nothing ever really hit beyond this movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the priest, father Damien Karras is played perfectly by Jason Miller. Absolutely. I love this character. Yeah. He is a man who's a crisis of faith. Uh, yeah. he's dealing with his mother. We get a lot of good character development yeah. with him. The and performance Jason, of the movie is definitely yeah. his. I mean, and and Jason Miller, for those who don't know, is actually more of a noted playwright and yeah. uh, a theater actor. If he's yeah. if he ever acts, he wrote a play called That Championship Season. Yeah, uh, which was, a, I think, a Catholicism played a role in it, and actually that's why yeah. uh, Blatty, not Blatty. But freaking or some one of the someone in the crew came to freaking. him, yeah, freaking. to talk about Catholicism and stuff like that because he had seen that championship season. That's that's exactly who it was, mm-hmm. and decided that Miller he wanted Miller for the role, but they had already hired Stacy Keach to play Caris, really? yeah, and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers had to buy him out of his contract because yeah. that's how close they came to signing him. Blatty, or no, the studio originally wanted Jack Nicholson to play Caris. I can see that. It'd be a little weirder, but it'd be... Well, Freakin' said that... uh, Freakin' was quoted as saying, Nicholson is way too unholy to play Father Karras. Yeah, the power of Christ compels you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Jason Miller is also the father of Jason Patrick. Yeah. Of Lost Boys fame. And actually, after Miller died in 2001... Yeah. Unfortunately, in 2004... Uh, Jason Patrick 
starred with Kiefer Sutherland in a new stage play version of that championship season and played the role played the role that was based on his dad and during the performance he actually bought the urn out with his father's ashes and set it on stage as tribute to his dad and so uh, but beyond Exorcist um, Jason Miller didn't really do much more with film he did direct the first film version of that of that championship season Uh, but he he was mostly a, a he was a theater guy. Yeah. He, he, he didn't really care Which to be in films. Was uh, really but he, well, odd. He, he did return for Exorcist 3, though. Yeah, he did. But what was really odd about that, too, with, with Jason Miller was is that he, um, after The Exorcist, and, of course, he found out he won the Pulitzer for, for that championship game while yeah. he was filming The Exorcist. And every, everyone in Hollywood, all the, all the Hollywood reporter-type people, you know, that pinned him to be the next big star. They were like, he is going to be the next it and shit, and then he, um, and I, I honestly think he just kind of rejected that. I think he wanted to be on stage. I think he wanted to write for stage, and I think that's just where he, he found his lane and he went down it. You know. Yeah, he he wasn't for him. Not all actors yeah. want to be in film, right? Uh, and and yeah, nineteen seventy four was his year. That was when he won the Tony Award, and like you just said, the yeah. Pulitzer for the play. So man, yeah. that was a Heck of a year for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, fun fact, though, when he gets spat on with the infamous green pea soup, yeah. uh, the throw up, that look of disgust and oh, when it hits his face is genuine because it was supposed to hit his chest. Oh. And, and there was I'll a mistake damned. and it hit his face. And he said in a later interview, yeah. Uh, yeah, that really angered me. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it really they, made had, they had a lot of accidents that added to the acting in that movie. <laughs> like, you know, Ellen Burstyn, when she flies back off the bed and she hits the wall and she just winces and just screams, that was real because she broke a vertebra in her back mm-hmm. when that Still happened. has problems with it today. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know where you've seen Burstyn recently, in 2014, she was in Interstellar. She is old Murphy uh, yeah. when Matthew McConaughey returns. That's so she's still working to this day. But uh, yeah, they also had to do a lot of innovative things. Like there's a scene where it's kind of a darkly humorous moment where she grabs the nuts of yeah, the psychiatrist. Of the psychiatrist, yeah. And you see that camera shot that follows him all the way to the floor. Yeah. And of course, today you do that with a GoPro. No big right. deal. Uh, then they had to build this huge rig yeah. to, that he had to set in, and they had to slowly lower him down while he's grimacing the whole time. Right. And speed it up a little bit to get that shot of him going down. And I was like, God, that's filmmaking, man. Yeah. That's old school well, filmmaking. That, yeah, I mean, because that's the days, you know, I'm going to love the 70s because I love um, doing this season because it's um, back in the days when you had to – innovate i mean there was no going to ilm and saying okay how do we you know can we do this and they're like oh yeah and they punch in a few letters into a keyboard and next thing you know you've got your shot it they had to truly figure out okay how do we make this happen we have an 80 pound camera that we've got to somehow follow his face down to the floor without killing this man you know and they did it you know they they would figure out ways they were macgyvers man I I also love the subliminal messaging of that that freaking 
puts throughout the film. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one is actually the the bedpost, the way that the blankets and stuff are tied tied up. They're mm-hmm. supposed to have a slightly phallic looking yeah. shape to them, <laughs> um, which I just absolutely absolutely think that's great. But of course, the big subliminal messaging in this movie. Yeah. Is that fucking demon face? That demon face, yeah. That pops up at random. That has become fate, kind of a trope in. in the in the in the supernatural film thing. It's, you know, it's yeah. become yeah, it's yeah. become a cliche now. Couple of fr- yeah, a couple of frames. Yeah. You know, just throw yeah, it in just, there and just enough to make the audience go, "The fuck's that?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is that demon face, which has scared the crap out of a lot of people, is a failed makeup test for Reagan. Yeah, it's it's a it's a makeup test that they did to see what how they wanted her to look and freaking just put it in. And it, when he was asked about the subliminal messaging, because it kind of came under fire at the time, he said, I'm not the first person to do subliminal messaging in movies. No, like and, and mine's even more apparent than others. Right. <laughs> so but uh that's actually one of the freakiest moments, though, because every time I watch the movie, I will always forget about one of those sequences. I'll just be like, oh, God, there it is. All yeah, right. Yeah. And then later on in the film, I'm like, hey, forgot about that one. Yeah. Fuck. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Uh, what's funny to me is the titular character of this movie mm-hmm. is barely in it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's the nature of the book as well. Right. But the movie is called, it's not called The Exorcism. So it's not really, it's not about the exorcism. It's called the exorcist. Right. Which the argument can be made that Karis ultimately becomes the exorcist. Yeah. But the exorcist of the movie is Max uh, Von Sydow as Father Lancaster, Lancaster uh, Merritt. Right. Uh, we, we see that he has dealt with these demons before at the archaeological dig, like when he finds the little pieces, there's just, there's history in his eyes. Right. Like I've seen this before. Right. I've seen all this before, uh, which the prequels tried to cash in on that and yeah, to various degrees. But I, I couldn't find, and Jason, Oh, uh, if you hear any sound, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. The TV in the other room is going off. So, uh, it's my roommate's TV. It's a little too loud. Uh, I'm actually going to go check on that here in just a second. But uh, yeah. <laughs> real quick, but uh, real quick, um, Max Fonsed out. Jason, do you have any idea why he was cast? Because he's 44 when he films this, and there's no flashback sequences that I can think of. He was of or 44 or when he filmed that. He was 44 So when he I'm the, not the only person on earth that looks like he's 90 at 44 years old. Okay, <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, oh, get this. Jason Miller? Yeah. Two years younger than me at, at, when he filmed this. Oh, wow. So, wow. And he looks fucking 40. So. Yeah. Wow. I did not realize he was only 44 when he filmed this. That, that He looks so much older. But, you know, his character, I think, yeah, there's a lot of, and this happens a lot in 70s films. There's a lot of subtle storytelling that they're not, sometimes they don't get the point across. Like, from the beginning of this movie, I, I think everyone goes into it, even back in 73, every, I think everyone went into it going, oh, she's possessed by a demon. 
you know no nobody got i don't think got the nuance of the of the oh we're supposed to think she's crazy you know is she not crazy because they don't really play that up that much they have the doctor very subtly giving the diagnosis but i mean everyone knows where it's going the other thing is too is you are absolutely right in this this is about the exorcist the 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 this is about Marin's character um in the fact that the movie opens up with him we see him taking heart pills we see him you know he's been studying all these ancient demons and stuff he then uh it then goes to them uh, whenever they're talking about you know him coming to do the exorcism they were oh yeah he has uh he has experience in this and they were like oh um I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, it, it nearly, yeah, he was in Africa. He performed one and it nearly killed him. And then we get to the actual exorcism and, you know, he dies. He, he, yeah. he, he gives everything to get this demon out of this girl and fails to do so. Cause then that's when, um, uh, the younger, you know, princess Karis, yeah. Karis has to step in and, and do the finish it up. And I will say that one of the reasons you probably want a younger actor playing yeah. an older character is yeah. that's a very physical exorcist too, or exorcism. Yeah. Like they're being thrown around, thrown to the ground, oh, yeah. slammed about. So you're going to need an actor who can actually physically yeah. do that role. You hear that, and Hollywood? So that, uh, a, yeah. a younger 44-year-old <laughs> guy who looks really old to play old people doing crazy <laughs> shit. That's me. It's almost mm-hmm. exclusively what I did in high school, Hollywood. Come on, come get me. Yeah, come, get me. come on. Uh, <laughs> today, you can CGI me old. Yeah. Uh, if you can age down Robert Downey Jr., you can age up me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will say, though, Sadow is fantastic. And, and, and knowing, I won't lie, the next time I remember actually seeing him in a movie was when he showed up in Minority Report. Yeah. He's the he's the lead he's the chief of police in that movie, uh, that's uh, you know the head of pre crime and whatever. Uh, when I saw him in that movie, I was like, he was old in The Exorcist. I thought he'd be dead now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just not not remembering that he's in makeup, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know the the thing is too is uh you know he's kind of a staple. Of my childhood, I mean, he Emperor Ming, he was, you know, <laughs> Flash Gordon. Uh, if anyone can find that film, go watch it. It's great. Uh, well, his big claim to fame was, and I haven't seen this movie. Was Seventh Seal, wasn't it? Like that was like, yeah, I think, I think was, his yeah. major film. But he does a great job uh, in the role, though. I mean, he he's fantastic. He's very memorable. I mean, hell, the poster is him. Of him standing in the light, looking up at the window. Right. That's one of the most famous posters. Oh yeah, uh, ever. And uh, it's been parodied so many times too <laughs> in films. He's just standing there in that light. So Father Joseph Dyer, yeah, uh, is played by Father William O'Malley, who I think is still alive, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, th- I think he is actually because I think yeah. he taught he taught uh, all the way up until 2012. He was cast in the movie because he was a huge critic of the book. He really he he was very critical of the book and and more 
namely the Father Joseph Dyer character, yeah. uh, he thought was a bit too cliche as far as how they portrayed him as a Catholic priest and yeah. all that stuff. So they were like, well, come on in and make him a genuine character. Like, right. how would you play him as a Catholic priest? And and he does a great job. He's also a very memorable uh, character. There's, you know, the, the most famous scene is giving the last rites to Karis, holding his hand and, you know, having him open his hand to say, hey, do you, you believe in God? Uh, here's something that's, actually not unique to either of us it, it, it both of us have gone through this mm-hmm. um when i first watched this movie one of the reasons it scared me was i was a religious person yeah and i believed in demons and angels and heaven and all that stuff oh yeah and so this movie scared me because i was like holy shit a yeah. demon could take over my body <laughs> yeah well and that's and a, um i was gonna today get it scares me because it's just a fucking scary movie yeah. but <laughs> I, well, and I was going to get into that because you know a lot of a lot of kids would probably watch this today and just be like, "Whatever, man." You know, religion is not as prevalent in most people's lives as it was in 1973, and that in 1973, this was major. I mean, that you were portraying something that people genuinely felt like was real demon possession and the devil could come get you you know and that um that's a a a scary scary thing when you believe it like say we both grew up in the church i you know have i've strayed away and become a heathen but you know (laughs) but now i and and but at the time yeah the, the very first time i saw this yeah i was very much still going to church and whatnot and yeah it scared the shit out of me I will say, though, uh, child fucking aside, Catholics know how to put on a show. Yeah, for sure. They, uh, I I won't lie, because of this movie reminded me, man, that, like, love their churches. Uh, Mm -hmm. Churches look fantastic. They're amazing. Uh, And their rituals and all this stuff, because this is all based on, like, real rituals. Yeah, real shit. Uh, In fact, the book is actually based partly on some exorcisms that happened in the 1940s uh, yeah. on this kid. There were three exorcis- exorcisms on this kid, a boy that no one knows their name. They, they chose the name Roland Doe. I don't know why not John Doe, but yeah. Roland, Roland Doe was the name they chose. And a lot of the things that this movie has, they said happened during this boy's exorcisms. Now, today, uh, there were plenty of witnesses to these exorcisms. Yeah, uh, A lot of people from that time said, no, he was mentally ill. We just didn't understand it quite as much then. And a lot of the neighbors and friends of the family said, yeah. And he was also a trickster. He was a prankster. And, and a lot of what he was doing could be attributed to that. For example, speaking a language he's never spoken before. He, he, according to them at the time, he started speaking Latin, didn't know a word of Latin, but people who were actually at the exorcism said he wasn't speaking Latin because he didn't know it. He was repeating the words the priests were saying. Right. So it's all been able to be kind of explained yeah. away. And, and I went back. Like I that. went into it and looked at it too. And there's, there's, you know, of course, media is going to jump on this movie when it came out in '73. They're like, hell yeah, you know, we got a firestorm here, you know. Which, you know, yeah. another thing going into, and I'll, let me go back to what we were talking about just a moment ago. With 1973, 
not only, if you went to see this on opening night, not only are you a religious person going to see something about a demon possession, but the day before you had celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the day before this film was released was Christmas, in which you got to know Blatty and Freak when we was just like, yeah, we're going to fuck with some people on this one, man. <laughs> But so, you know, um, I mean, today they would do a Halloween release with it. Everyone knows that, you know, that's when you're going to release your big Halloween or your big horror films are in October. Um, but no, back then, no, fucking day after Christmas, man, let's fuck with them. But that being said, um, I did a little research, too, on the Rolling Doe thing. I was looking into it. Now, the, the, now the, the papers and all, they're the ones who went and found the Rolling Doe case and quite frankly, discovered that it didn't match up to what they were kind of wanting to print, which was a lot of, you know, holy shit, it, this really happened, here's what happened. So they even made up some facts, which later on, there was a, a guy who wrote a book, and I'll have to, I'll have to uh, cite it in the, uh, uh, the comment section, because I can't remember it right now, and I don't have it in front of me. But he found out that, like, there are a lot of what the papers and things at the time said, there are no records of it whatsoever ever happening. We know the kid existed. We know some stuff went down, but we don't uh, necessarily. Uh, a lot of the the depth of the story was actually added by people later just to make it kind of sync up with the movie and make it more sensational, you know. Fake news? Yeah, what never. What about? Never. <laughs> um. All right, the last cast choice I want to talk about is yeah. originally when Reagan is the demon and, and the demon is fully taken over, originally freaking wanted to use Linda Blair's voice but and contort it and do some stuff right. with it in audio, but he it, that wasn't working. It worked in a couple of scenes, but mm -hmm. it didn't work in every scene. So he had to have a voice of the demon, which, again... Yeah. You'll never hear this name in the movie, but it's the name in the book. The name of the demon in the in the in the book in the movie is Pazuzu, right? Based on an actual demon from somewhere, like yes. I think it, from Babylonian times. And if any of y'all have heard of it, it's probably because thanks to Futurama, all I can think about is the doctor running around going Pazuzu <laughs> because he had a pet demon named Pazuzu, <laughs> and you'd see Pazuzu nice. flying around the city. <laughs> so there had to be uh, a voice and so he got a famous voice actor at the time uh, Mercedes McCambridge mm -hmm. now what she went through to do the voice uh, has scared the crap out of freaking to this day she tied herself up so she had to struggle as she yelled and screamed she mm -hmm. was also a recovering alcoholic and brought in her priest and sponsor so she could drink to make and smoke and chain smoke to make her voice even more raspier. Jesus. And and she did that through the whole production. It scared freaking so much that when he had to add some stuff to the TV version, he just yeah. did the voice himself. Wow. He, he didn't get her to come back. He's like, I'm not making her do all that. Yeah. This actually caused some controversy though, because she was not credited originally in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um she fought to get a credit later on. Uh, there's been some disputes as to whether she wanted it in the first place. Freakin' has said she didn't want it until after the movie came out and it was a success. Yeah. Um, she claimed they just didn't want to have anyone know that Linda Blair had a voice. 
It also uh, caused some problems for the Academy Awards because Linda Blair was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Right. But, uh, but there was controversy over the fact she wasn't using her own voice, and so that pretty much guaranteed she wasn't going to win. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't care if it's her voice or not. Linda Blair went through some shit with this movie. She acted her ass off in this movie. And <laughs> Good Lord. And that's not just any child act- actor can do that. No. I mean, it, as many a film, Star Wars The Phantom Menace proved, yeah. you can't just throw any kid in there and make right. it work. And I'll, and, <laughs> and I'll tell you, too, it, of course, again, look at the times being 1973. I mean, we got a lot of Hollywood parents now who'd be like, fuck yeah, put my kid in that. But... Uh, I would have been hard pressed if they came to me and said, "Hey, this is the part we want your kid to audition for." I'd have been very hard pressed to be like, "Oh yeah, let her go curse and jab a fucking cross in her crotch and scream fuck me." You know, I mean that. Jesus, uh, a lot of a lot of the child actors that they originally wanted to go to did not go to the movie because they were very religious people. Yeah, and Linda Blair actually mentioned that her family was not that religious so they knew it was all fake and all that kind of stuff but she also said that that william freak that freaking really acted as sort of like an on-set father and kind of explained certain scenes to her to really kind of ease her into it and linda blair has also gone on our blair has gone on the record to say like she she didn't know what half of what she was saying at the time right And, and and, and therefore it didn't matter like um and so, and, yeah. and so, uh, but as nice as freaking uh, was to her, he was an unholy terror on the rest of the cast to get a performance out of him. Yeah, there's there's already the you know you talked about Bernstein's back injury, which that mm-hmm. obviously was not supposed to have happened. That was just a freak accident. But there are scenes where they're they're startled and they jump, and the mm-hmm. way he got those reactions, he fired a fucking gun behind them. Yeah, yeah, he took out a gun and fired it. To the point where Jason Miller at one point confronted him verbally about it in front of the cast and crew and said, don't yeah. you ever do that to me again. I'm an actor. I can act afraid and startled. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but there's also another scene where the, uh, the I guess it's Chris's assistant, that that woman. Yeah. That's, yeah. And she's her, supposed to be her assistant. She, she has this like startled reaction. Yeah. And the way he got that from her is he walked up to her and he said, do you trust me? Yeah. He slapped the shit out of her and went action and got the reaction from her. Damn. And shit that would have got him me tooed. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but you know, (laughs) one thing you can say, at least he didn't drive a woman to insanity like certain other directors did with their horror films, (laughs) which we'll get to in the eighties. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Real quick, uh, Bursting gave a great story, uh, which, by the way, if I'm butchering some of these names, I probably am. It's Bursting. But, yeah, yeah Bursting. Yeah. She went to a screening for the movie uh, when it came out incognito because she wanted to see the audience's reaction. She was shooting overseas, and it was just now coming out in that country. Yeah. And one woman freaked out and got up and, and walked and started to walk, and she was wobbling. Mm-hmm. And, and Burston saw that, and so she was. She followed behind her, and sure enough, the woman fainted. So she caught her, 
Yeah. But then Burstyn said, "I have," and then real quick, I had to get someone else to come in and help her because I realized if she woke up and saw the woman from the movie, movie looking down there. at her, yeah. she would have been felt like she was in the Twilight Zone. Or yeah. Something. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so would have blown uh, that damn woman's mind. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh. Uh, oh, one one role I, I didn't mention. And I meant to, uh, Lee J. Cobb yeah. plays Kinderman yeah. in this movie. And he's really, like, you usually hate cop characters in these movies. Because cop characters are usually the ones who, they can't believe you. Right. Because that would give you a source of help. And so they've yeah. got to be dicks, or they've got to, you know, they've yeah. got to be looking at it from a different angle. In his case, he's looking at it from the possibility that Reagan murdered someone. Yeah. But he's so damn nice. He's like one of the few cop yeah. characters in a movie where I'm like, he's cool. He's and what, I think it's he's what I cops think it's used to be. Force him. Yeah. yeah, he's what cops <laughs> used to be before we militarized the goddamn police forces. You and know? it's such a it's such a wonderful scene when he goes up to her and is like, "Could you give give my daughter your autograph?" Yeah. Sure. What's her name? Okay, it's for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I lied. It's for me. Yeah. You know. Uh, and then of course at the end he gets in just at the tail end to see that crazy crap's happening yeah, so he yeah. he knows something beyond happened um he does a great job I, you know I, I thought about it as much as i love george c scott george c scott's in the inferior film so cobb wins for best kinderman right yeah <laughs> as yeah. a result he actually uh blatty said the only reason they didn't go to cobb for the exorcist three is that unfortunately he passed away uh, a few yeah. years after this movie so yeah he was he, he, 76 he couldn't do it yeah, yeah he passed away three years after the film so he couldn't yeah. do it um what's really sad is there's a character in here called burke who's the director he's the british director gets real drunk yeah he's yeah, like you nazi yeah. bastard yeah <laughs> and has a little scuffle he actually died in January of 73, months before the film came out, oh, he actually, in London, they had a flu epidemic. And yeah. he, he died, uh, he got the flu and, and died at that time. So, yeah, the curse man, of the exorcist. You the know. curse of the exorcist. Uh, yeah. O'Malley wanted to, they wanted him for Dyer in Exorcist 3. Uh, but he uh, was busy. He had uh, He had other shit he was doing, so he couldn't do that. Yeah, seeing that I he was, that. <laughs> seeing that he was at least still alive. Yeah, uh, I wondered he was still why he alive. didn't. Yeah, he's didn't the one. It it was purity scheduling problems. He 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 would have probably come back. It just it just didn't occur at the right time. And I know that originally Blatty wanted Freakin to come back to direct it. Yes, to direct it. But they had a falling out over yes. creative differences. Yes, and and so Blatty, that was when like I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, fuck it, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did want freaking back, and yeah, for some reason they had a huge falling out. Now, uh, real quick on Exorcist Three, because this is not the movie we're talking about, but I will say this much: if there is hope for that movie, by the way, even though I do like the cut that came out, uh, Blatty had said that he went back to Morgan Creek and was like, "I, I've got to put out my cut of this film." Uh, they had lost the film, said they couldn't find it. Um, in fact, I was going to mention this later. Yeah, <laughs> and then, but they have since found the original VHS dailies uh, that the film was made from, 
and it looks like we are going to get our cut, our our bladdy cut. Uh, yeah, it it uh, it's something they're working on right now. Yeah. Uh, for the people who don't know, there's a company called Shout Factory. They're the yeah. ones that actually are they distribute doing it. it? They distribute yeah. well. They distribute Exorcist three now. There's oh, a collector's edition for for Exorcist three, which I've yeah. thought about getting. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they they are the ones that'll work on it and will release a director's cut. And yeah. uh, they said they didn't know how much of it could be salvageable from the VHS tapes, yeah. but they're they're working hard to do it because it, it is hard to clean that up to clean a VHS tape up compared to the original negatives and right. everything else that was lost right. so we'll see we'll yep. see i don't know um so real quick i do a couple things here i wanted to ask you if you could think of something off the top of your head what because i didn't tell you about this this is something i'm kind of adding yeah at, uh as we're going what's your favorite scene in this movie hmm the <laughs> There's a couple. Um, yeah, or scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll, oddly enough, Lee J. Cobb, it, it, it really, you know, has nothing to do with the exorcism or anything. But when he's interacting, there's three interactions he has in the director's cut uh, because in the original cut, the third one was cut. But but the three interactions he has, the one with Karis, the one with the mom, and then the one with um uh, uh dire at the end of the film um they're just so well done and like you said there's just this like i believed lee j cobb was a fucking detective on the case and just a nice guy detective i really believed it you know it, it was it was crazy how well he could act with just such a small little thing you know um now just for sheer uh knowing that it destroyed the fucking world in 1973 and and some people left the church because of this scene uh where she's jabbing the cross into her crotch screaming <laughs> fuck me fuck me that uh, that it, well it's just such a powerful scene because you don't i don't even think you could film that scene today I think people would be so disturbed by the fact that it was a child actor and they were doing that. And I think, yeah, I don't even know you could film it today, but it's powerful. The the Kinderman scenes I definitely agree with, and the crucifix scene, of course, is fantastic. Yeah. But if I had to add to that, um, I would say my one of my favorite scenes is when Karis first examines Reagan. And yeah. it, it starts off with actually one of my favorite quotes in the movie was an excellent day for an exorcism. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, yeah. And he's because, and he takes the quote unquote, holy water and, uh, yeah. and slings it on her and all that stuff, because you can tell he's still doubting. And then later on we find out that's tap water. So he really is just trying to yeah. prove that she's acting, but there's that subtle moment where she mentions his mother. Yeah. And that's when the wheels start turning in his head. Yeah, and, and, and it's just, uh, that's when I, I love subtle moments like that that are put in where it's not just in your face. It's here's that little turn right there that's going to make this guy come back. He right. may have, in the next scene, he may be like, "Oh, this is tap water and all that," but when he leaves, he turns around. Did you tell her about my mother? Like, yeah. and nope. And that's what starts him on the path uh, of believing. 
Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. And what's funny is, is some people might say to us, oh, the, the priest that's going through the crisis of faith, that's such a cliche. Yeah. This is where the cliche started. Yeah. Father Karras is the original doubting priest. Yeah. <laughs> you got to understand, if you go back to watch this film, all those other exorcism films and all that shit after 1973, this is what started all the tropes. This is what started everything, you know. And you know what? You know what's crazy is okay, uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween start the slasher film. Right. Crazy. Billions of great slasher films are made. Yeah. Um, George A. Romero does Night of the Living Dead. All these great zombie films are made. Yeah. No one can seem to do an exorcism film right ever no. since this film. No one has ever been able to capture it the way they did in this one film. And I think, I think there's a reason for that, though. I think, honestly, this is the only way you could capture that type of story without it... Um, and so every other film after it would just have to be copying exactly what this film is. And so they all try to add their own little twist and it doesn't work because I did see one film and I can't remember the name of it. I have to tell talk. I'll talk to you about it offline though. It was, but it was about an exorcism. It was about a guy who actually performed exorcisms. Uh, he performed sham exorcisms and he, and he later on uh, in the film, he's performing one, but it's of an actual possessed person, so he, he gets fucked up in the end. Um, I know, I know the film you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I actually didn't care for that movie too much, yeah. to be honest. It, but, well, I was going to say it but, was okay because it took kind yeah. of a different tack, different but take, yeah, yeah, it but it just didn't, it didn't, um, it, it nothing. I have yet to ever see a film that has ever come close to what this one did. You know. and, that and, and again, that includes its own sequels. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. prequels. Yeah. So uh, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it was just so well done because I think Blatty was just such a good writer. He realized that uh, number one, you had to have a child be the one that was possessed because you had to have something, someone that was innocent. You know, it, it, you know, and there's a little girl. You know, I mean, there's nothing more innocent in the world than your little girl. And she's now possessed by a goddamn demon saying the weirdest shit you've ever heard come out of a human being. And so, um, but he, that was, you know, part of it. And that became something that had to be part of it. And um, like I say, uh, uh, you know, you do have the cop there who they could have very easily fell into the whole standard of, you know, he, he's just, he's the foil for the whole thing, you know, and he, but no, he's, he played it to where he wrote it and they played it to where he is uh, like, I'm trying to figure this shit out, but I can't, you know, kind of yeah. thing, you know. And then, Cause, he, yeah, because like that's the yeah. thing. He's a logical cop. Right. Because he'll even, he'll even say, there's no way a girl could throw yeah, a guy he that says far it. out the window, you know. And he said, but, you know, I got to ask. Yeah, like, he yeah. takes that. Like, He's like, yeah, if actually, someone was in the room, you know, he, he was he trying actually, to figure it out. He approaches it from, do you think an intruder could have came in and yeah. thrown the guy? You know, yeah. He never does, yeah, like, I know it's your daughter and I'm going to get her somehow. Right, or, yeah, know, crap, which, which is, is how they, that's what they would do today because they'd be yeah. trying to add a little extra story element into it. And uh, I can't stand that because sometimes you just don't need that, you know? Uh, but <laughs> uh, to me, all around, just a, a well-written movie, a well-acted movie, 
The cinematography was great. I, I, I there's not much about this movie I don't love. Yeah. yeah. Um, as before, I, I mentioned this a little early because I do want to do this in the future, more towards the end of the episodes. But yeah. uh, best quotes of the film, which we've already done. I did what an excellent day for an exorcism. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't say the best quote of the movie. Repeated about 15 times in the movie. Mm-hmm. The power of Christ compels you. Yep. That scene is so insane. Uh, and I will say that scene is also the only thing I liked when they parodied the scene. It's the only thing I liked in Scary Movie 2. Yeah. When James Woods comes in as the exorcist and he walks in, sees all the stuff floating around. He's like, oh, fuck this. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. runs out. Have you ever, but, uh, speaking of parodies, have you ever seen the old, I believe it was on Saturday Night Live, they had Richard Pryor on, and he's one of the priests. And he's like, the power of Christ compels you. And the bed's floating up in the air. <laughs> and then suddenly the bed comes down. And he's like, the power of Christ compels you. The bed is on my foot. The bed. <laughs> Is on my foot. It's just so funny. And then eventually she says something about your mother, you know, does such ever. And he's just like, oh, you going to talk about my mama, motherfucker? <laughs> and he just goes at her. And, oh, it was hilarious. Uh, it's, it's, if, you, if you've never seen that, look it up. It's, it's uh, Richard Pryor, uh, Exorcist Parody. Uh, yeah, it's great. Well, uh, believe it or not, I'm through my notes. I'm look, I, I was mm-hmm. looking through my notes here like, have anything else? Yeah. Uh, how are we doing on time? Well, we're sitting here at almost an hour, so I think we really? did pretty good after I add the add the music and stuff in. So I guess we could wrap it up here. I'll All go right. ahead and let you say a few words. And then All right. Yeah, I have a few. Uh, I figure this would be a good way to button each episode is with yep. a few end of podcast statistics, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I, we already talked about the sequels, so I'm going to put that to the side. Yep. Um, the movie was released to rave reviews. Yep. It initially made over $110 million worldwide on a budget of $12 million. So that's a huge success because <laughs> earlier, what, I mean, what that means real quick is, I meant to mention this, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Overrated fucking movie. But anyway, yeah. uh, when I say that movie was a hit, I meant $30 million on a $4 million budget. That's yeah. good for a horror film. Right. Uh, that's gangbusters for a horror film. $110 million is nuts. That's yeah. why Warner Brothers has been riding the Exorcist train all the way to today. Yeah. Because every re-release has been a hit as well, and the film has actually made over $400 million worldwide now. That's fucking it, crazy. It's nuts. Uh, and of course, finally, the movie was nominated for several Academy Awards. It was the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Get Out and Silence of the Lambs, and I think one other, but I'm, it's escaping me at the moment, uh, were nominated as well. But this was the first. It was the first horror film to get mainstream success. Yeah. Uh, Burstyn, Miller, and Blair were all nominated for Academy Awards. The film actually did win for Best Adapted Screenplay for William Peter Blatty. So just like Get Out. Get Out yeah. wins Best Original Screenplay for Jordan Peele. Yeah. Uh, and it also won uh, Robert... Robert Knudsen and Chris Newman won the award for best sound. Yeah. Uh, I do actually think Owen Roisman should have won for best cinematography because there's a lot of yeah. shots in this movie that are just eerie and spectacular. But yeah. and, and well, actually, 
he was responsible for a lot of the effects in, mm-hmm. in terms of how to film them, like the cabinet moving and almost <laughs> killing uh, Chris and all that stuff. Well, so. it's it, it's funny you mentioned though the sound because the sound, Rose and I were actually talking about the sound editing on this earlier uh, because when I was watching the movie earlier. There's that scene where Reagan's in the hospital and she's in the she's in the office and she's kind of banging up against the wall and all of a sudden she's just like <laughs> All three of my dogs and my cat stopped doing everything they were doing and turned their head towards that TV and I hear from the kitchen, "Jason, what is that sound? Oh my god, what is that?" And I said, "That my dear is the exorcist that is that is like great fucking sound work they did on that movie and she was like holy shit you know and and great use of the whole low volume yeah and then we're gonna scare the crap out of you yeah because like uh, and a big one again not a supernatural point it's quiet they're telling her what they need to do their to her daughter they're going to have to put her in the machine again. And then all of a sudden, gar, 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 yeah, gar, yeah. the machine starts. It's like, yeah. I almost blew out my speaker because I was like, oh, crap, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thank God for modern technology, too, because I don't know if I could take that shit if I was having to go get one of those scans. Oh, Jesus. So. But, uh, yeah, yeah, this movie, I mean, you know, if I had to grade this movie, because I grade movies when I watch them. Right. I mean, it's A-plus all the way. Yeah. There, there's no... I, I I'm hard pressed to find something I don't like about this. Movie. Right, right. That it's one even of those the kind of even films. the slow burn. It, the, the slow burn works for this movie. It it, it has to be a slow yeah. burn. I think because it, you you're you are trying to figure out what's wrong with this little girl medically and everything. So you're just having to go through all the steps, and then when it does go and and you get to the 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 action, it really ramps up from there. And I think that's how you had to do it. You know, as as we'll find through the seventies, seventies was real good at that slow yeah. build yeah. to the end, and Absolutely. then boom, hitting you. Yeah. Um. Well, real quick, I guess. Uh, should we at least tease what we're gonna do next? Sure. Or what do you? What do you? Uh, next what do we have week. Planned? Next week, we're gonna go to the other side of seventies horror that I mentioned earlier, the slasher genre, mm-hmm. and we're gonna look at. 1974's Black Christmas. Oh, That's yeah. going to be the next film, which is great because I just watched it for the first time right before we started recording this podcast. Awesome. So, <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's what we'll talk about next yep. week. I had a blast doing this. I hope we yeah. get to keep keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, I hope. Uh, I'm I'm sure we're we're gonna we're gonna keep doing it no matter how many you know if you're listening or not. But we hope you are. And we hope you had as much fun as we did recording it. And with that, I'll just say one last thing. Uh, You know, like, rate, subscribe, and review. Because the power of Christ compels you to. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. (laughs) All right, everybody. Bye.